You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We're in a series called Point of View, or from a Christian point of view. We've talked through several different things so far. Tonight we're going to talk about community. Okay, so really the point of this series is to say, all right, look, there's a way that the world maybe thinks about these things, but what does it look like for a Christian to think about these things? What is a Christian's point of view on community and what kind of community should we have, what, what should we be looking for, and all that stuff is kind of where we're headed tonight. But we've got to think about a little bit of like, okay, what does the world think community is or what is it looking for as well? And so when we think about community according to the world and maybe our culture around us, is people think, well, we got to find some people that you have stuff in common with. Okay, so you want to find some people who share interests with you, maybe same life stage, all that stuff. And, and a lot of people in our world think that you need to find people who agree with you on most everything, find people who are like you, uh, people who it's easy to get along with, and people maybe who won't even challenge you too much on anything. You know, I think we've gotten into this place in our world, in our culture, maybe where to love someone is just to affirm everything they already think and everything they already do. You don't want to call each other out too much uh, or, or maybe it doesn't feel like that much of a loving friendship. Uh, and so I think the world gets it wrong about lots of things. I think the world also naturally gets some things right, though. It's not all bad. I think the world around us and every single person values community. I think every person knows it's not good to be alone. I think every person has that image of God ingrained into them to know, okay, it's good for me to have other people around me, and I want to have that kind of community. And I think we also all recognize that compassion is a good thing, that people shouldn't get left out or stepped on or treated poorly. I think the whole world would agree that uh, more service and less selfishness is a good thing. I think that we could all agree on those things. It's just that our world doesn't really have much motivation to actually practice some of those good things. The world doesn't have a whole lot of motivation to not be selfish and to serve others and to have real relationships uh, that are deeper than service level or deeper than just affirming one another and being there uh, with people who, are, who share interests with us. You know, we have a different kind of motivation as Christians, and that's kind of what's going to set us up tonight. Romans 12 1 and 2. So we're going to be in Romans 12 tonight. We're going to focus mostly on 3 through 21. But in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is saying, look, we have gone through a lot of of theology and a lot of gospel up to this point. We've talked a lot about God's mercy and what he has done in order to create an opportunity for us to be saved in the book of Romans up to this point. He's saying, based on all those things, now present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Okay, that is our motivation, the love of God for us and his mercy toward us, the gospel of Jesus Christ having come to save us from our sins by dying for us in our place so that anybody who calls on his name might be saved. That is our motivation. So for Paul, he's saying, like, based on this mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. But I think he also is saying, by the mercies of God, we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice. 
that without that, we wouldn't have what we need. We wouldn't have the motivation behind actually presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice and not conforming to the world but being transformed by God. The motivation is the mercies of God, his love for us. And so we, we know those verses pretty well. We've read, we've talked about those verses. I'm, I'm sure that you have read them or heard them talked about in other places as well. But where Paul goes next, I think is really interesting. So it says, based on the mercies of God, and he talks about these things, being transformed, not being conformed, and then he jumps off into 3 through 21. And there's a connection there for him. And so I think what follows immediately is him talking about, you know, based on this, this is how we ought to be in relationship with one another. Okay, so we're going to read through Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 21. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, for, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, you guys can have a seat. And here's what we're going to do. Some of these verses will not get as much attention as others. That's just natural. That's the way it always works out when you're walking through a passage. Some things we focus on more than others. There's going to be things that I can't get to tonight that I'd love to say. But we're going to try to get to as many things as possible. Okay, so we're going to talk about how Christian community is different, or that Christian, the Christian approach to community is different. And I'm going to warn you, okay, I have nine points. Okay, I know, I know it's a lot. They're more like sub-points to the one point about Christian community and our approach to it is different. What we're going to do is each one of these is going to say something like, instead of we this. Okay, so we're going to walk through these, and some of them will be faster than others. We're going to truck along until we get through all of them. So hang in there. It's going to be great. Um, but that's the way it's going to work. Here's the first one. Instead of looking to be built up individually, we aim to build up the body. Okay, so we're looking at verses 3 through 8 right here when we talk about this. And this is one of the sections that we're probably not going to spend as much time on, near as much time as we could. But I think that one of the greatest things plaguing the church in our day is consumerism. Where we treat church like a product. That the church produces something that we consume. And when something happens in church that we don't like, we think of, oh, they did this. They did this thing that I didn't like. They did this thing that I did like. 
And it becomes this thing that, that it's like a, a product that we consume, and we judge them by what they bring to the table rather than seeing church as a we that we contribute to. Part of the point of having a ministry expo next week is to try to help reinforce this idea that it is not, you know, this church and no other church is a church that you just come and consume and take from. It's not somebody else's job to just be the person that feeds you spiritually and you go there to be, to be filled up and then, you know, uh, be filled up by whatever the pastor says, the worship set and all that stuff, and then you, you go out. Or, you know, you take from their programs and all this stuff. But rather, Christian, you need to know that you are as much a part of the body as anybody else. And you have a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission through a local church, just like the pastor does, just like somebody on staff. And whatever, uh, you know, we could talk about spiritual gifts. I, I wish we had more time to talk about those things. But look, every single one of you has giftings and talents and abilities to offer. You have time and energy. You have relationships. You have resources that you can be a part of the church's work as, as part of the church so that it's no longer a they doing something that I take part in, but rather I, I am part of the we that is making things happen. And simply put, you know, we need to watch how we tend to elevate ourselves to the position of judge of what the church is doing, especially if we're not doing anything to contribute to the work of the church. Okay, so thinking in these terms, and, and that, is, that is the whole of the first point. See how some are, some are going to be short, some are going to spend a little bit more time on. But instead of looking to be built up individually, we aim to build up the body. So the second thing we want us to think about, instead of indulging what is evil, we cling to what is good. Okay, so in verse 9, you see this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Sometimes we indulge what is evil for the sake of fun. We do things that are evil for the sake of fun. And, and I think, actually I know that there are tons of ways to have fun that are not sinful. There are so many ways to have fun that is not sinful. Fun is good. I believe God created fun. It was his idea. He made us to do relationship with, with one another. You know, I, I don't know if God laughs at a good joke, but if he, if he does, he's probably laughing at Ben Sidwell all the time. Not that you're a joke, Ben. We, we love you. That's not what I meant by that. But we, Yeah. But I think, obviously, fun is a way that we build trust. Like, relationships are kind of, bonds are built and trust is built when you have fun with people together. You know, like, that's, that's the way you build relationships a lot of times, just to have fun. But if a bond is built between people around something sinful that you find fun, eventually that bond is going to fall apart. It's not going to hold together, and eventually it's going to hurt some or all of the people involved. So we don't want to indulge in sin for the sake of fun just because we feel like that is helpful for our community or our friendship. As believers, we have to watch who we're spending time with and how we're spending the time. You know, because you may have some people who you spend time with who are not believers, and they do not see something as sinful that you see as sinful. You've got to watch how much time you spend with those people and what you spend time doing with them. But also, amongst believers, sometimes we do things that we know is sinful, and maybe we feel bad about after the fact, and we apologize to each other, you know, I'm sorry we went, whatever, we watched that thing. It's just like, we need to watch ourselves because we're called as Christians to abhor what is evil, to hate it, and hold fast to what is good. There are a lot of fair warnings in Scripture about who we do community with. 
Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If the company you're keeping right now does not cling to what is good and hate what's evil, then you may be missing out on Christian community. There may be something lacking in your experience of community. Either the people are believers who need to wake up, maybe you're one of them, or you may be going through life with people who are still blind to the delight that it is to know God and to know him through Jesus. And I'm not telling you to ditch your non-Christian friends. I'm not. Because you may be the, the, the pathway to Jesus that they're going to they're gonna find Jesus through, right? But here's a good rule that I heard recently, and I think this is, this is really solid. Only hang out with people you intend to see in heaven. Only hang out with people you intend to see in heaven. Either people you already know are going there, or people that you have every intent to share Jesus with and are actively headed in that direction. And so that's the second point. Third thing, instead of looking for love, we look for how to show love. Instead of looking for love from a community or affirmation or whatever it may be, we look for how to show love. This idea in, in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. In verse 9, let love be genuine. You know, I think the emphasis here is on showing love. I mean, I've heard you, or I'm sure you've heard that love isn't just a feeling. Or maybe you've heard the, the cliche, love is a verb. You know, that's not wrong. Feelings of love often come and go, but it's the choices that you make and the actions that you take that show love. A commitment. Love is more of a commitment to a person and acting in line with that commitment rather than just feelings. You know, because the feelings may be there, but again, often they're up and down, and you want something that is more consistent. And if you want community with other believers, that's part of what it looks like, to show love, to be committed to one another, not just when you feel like it. You know, verse 11, he talks about, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy about serving the Lord. You know, because he gets on to the end of that verse, and he talks about, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Part of serving the Lord is serving other people. 1 John 4, 19 through 21, we read, uh, or at least kind of mentioned verse 19 along the way in this series. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Like part of not being slothful in zeal, part of serving the Lord is not being slothful about having Christian relationships and showing love and in action in those relationships. You know, we have lots of examples in, of how to do this in our text. In verse 13, it says, that we're seeking to contribute to the needs of the saints. We're trying to, to help other people in their need. We are showing hospitality to people, welcoming them. Also in verse 15, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. In verse 18, talking about seeking peace, trying to serve other people and show love rather than just looking for it. And then to come back to verse 10, you know, I think I quoted this one last week, of outdoing one another and showing honor. We want to show honor to one another. And a fourth 
point is right along those lines. Instead of seeking recognition, we outdo one another in showing honor. Instead of seeking recognition, we outdo one another in showing honor. Again, I love this verse, um, verse 10. And, and I was listening to a podcast called You're Not Crazy, um, and, and it's, it's great. You should listen to it. But anyway, they're talking about how, talking about this idea of honoring one another and seeking to honor one another. And they just called up a guy in the middle of the podcast, just called up a guy that they knew, and they're like, hey, so-and-so, we just love this about you. We love how you serve the Lord in this way. We love how you honor the Lord, how you've worked in the kingdom of God. And they're just like pouring this encouragement out on this guy and honoring him on the podcast. And I think I started crying when I listened to that. And I, I don't really know what it was. It was just like so much love in that of like showing this care for this other person. And I'm like, why don't we do more of this? Showing honor to other people. You know, somebody on staff just yesterday did this for me. I was talking to them about something going on and, and, and they were like, listen, I think you have the gift of discernment. I can really see that in you. And they just like poured this encouragement into me, totally unsolicited. I didn't ask for anything. I, I didn't even act like I needed that. But man, I needed that. And they're like, I just think, I, I just see this in you. And, and it was, you know, Monday was a really difficult day internally for me. I didn't get a whole lot done. I felt like I'm just kind of like slogging my way through life. And then that came in the next day, at the beginning of the day yesterday, and I just felt that mercy of God new in the morning through that person. And man, it, it, was, it was good. And it was so helpful to me. And it was a way that that person loved me by sharing that with me and just encouraging me. And I'm not saying that we just have to say things directly to people to honor them. I think there's something definitely about having uh, some encouraging words to say to your brother or sister in Christ. But also, I think it goes beyond what we say directly to people, but also speaking well of one another when we're away from each other. Looking for things to say about one another that are positive and good. It's kind of like your mama said probably at one point in your life, if you don't have anything nice to say, keep your mouth shut. I think sometimes when we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, more often than not, we should keep our mouth shut. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to talk bad about each other. You know, I think there are probably times where you can, uh, you know, I'm not saying there's never a time where you don't bring up somebody's shortcomings or failings directly to them or talking about that with somebody else if you're planning on helping that person through that shortcoming or uh, holding them accountable and being an encouragement to them or praying for them. I think that's a little bit different. I think what we tend to do often is just talk about each other behind each other's backs rather than honor one another behind each other's backs. And I, I think that Anything about talking negative about one another, as our brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not talking about even in the world or whatever, but I'm talking about specifically brothers and sisters in Christ. When we talk about one another, it should never be instinctive or enjoyable for us to speak negative. Quite literally. I don't, I don't know how your relationships with your siblings are. Okay, You may dislike your, your actual brothers or sisters. Okay, but The thing is, in Christ, we are all new creations. We're part of a new family together, and we're going to spend forever together. We need to watch how we talk about one another and genuinely care for one another enough that if we have something that is negative or we notice something, we don't talk about it with each other, but we go directly to that person and talk with them because we love them as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, I'll get off my high horse and head on to the next point. Fifth thing, instead of wanting people to be intentional with us, 
we pursue others for the glory of the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting other people to be intentional with us. Okay? But if it's only that, I'm just waiting on somebody else to come to me. I'm waiting on somebody else to welcome me. I'm waiting on somebody else to invite me to this thing or, or whatever, to pull me in. I think we can, we can miss something. We can miss biblical community if we're waiting and only wanting other people to be intentional with us. So I say, instead of wanting people to be intentional with us, we pursue others for the glory of the Lord. Verse 11, this do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't be lazy about it. Don't be lagging in your earnestness about walking with Christ. And again, that has a lot to do with if you're going to serve the Lord, you're also serving other people, his people. You know, instead, you know, when he says this, be fervent in spirit, it's kind of like, don't be this, but be this. When we talk about being fervent, it literally means like boiling over. Like that, that verbal idea in the text is, is like we're boiling over in our spirit. Like I, can't, I can't stop it, but being so fully all in on the grace of God at work in your life that you can't, just can't sit on your hands. You can't just stay still. Rather, serving the Lord and seeing that a lot of that is serving other people. And an area, uh, a big area where we can be lazy in our faith is relationships with other believers. You know, you can be in your Bible and praying every day. And you can try your hardest to not sin in any obvious ways and be pure in your thinking. But if you don't make any attempts to relate to fellow believers or to gather with them for encouragement, accountability, and corporate worship, you are missing something huge. And your personal growth is going to be stunted, stunted because of that. So, I mean, we are relational beings. God made us that way. He put us in a body. We are members one of another in order to do life together. So you can try your hardest to, to love Jesus and be in a good relationship with him and grow in that. If you're trying to do it alone, your growth will be stunted. I'm not saying you can't learn things on your own. I'm not saying that you don't need to have time when you're in the word and you're in prayer. All those things are, are important. But I believe that a lot of us, you know, are, are missing something because we're not really spending a whole lot of quality time focused on the Lord with other people. And I, obviously, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit to people who have chosen to be with other believers tonight and worship and understand that you're already doing some of that. I'm not like trying to bash or anything. I'm, I'm just saying um, recognize how important this is because I think we already know that this is true. But also I think we can get this victim mentality in our heads where we say, yeah, I want some good Christian community, but I don't know where to find it. And nobody's really made an attempt to pour into me. So I don't really know, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to find somebody to mentor me, or I wish I had somebody to do this. I, I, I wish, I wish, I wish something would happen where somebody else takes some initiative. And I'm here to say it's a two-way street. Like, how have you pursued Christian community? How vulnerable have you been willing to be up to this point to initiate and let other people into your life? Are you just sitting on your hands, or, or are you living fervent in the Spirit trying to Show the love of God to other people. You know, who has it spilled out from you toward? Like, are you trying to hold back because it's kind of out of your comfort zone to do that? And I'm, I know that some of you are introverts. I'm an introvert, okay? I have to fake being an extrovert for my job sometimes. And I know it's hard. Your personality doesn't excuse you, though, from loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, you don't have to become outgoing to pursue real relationships for the glory of God. You don't. You don't have to be the center of attention to invest in other people. Okay, and, and you could have that. Well, nobody's trying 
Nobody's trying with me, but the thing is, this isn't about you. And it's not about me. It's about being God-honoring people that he has called us to be. And a lot of that is serving one another in love. Here's the next point. Instead of wallowing in negativity, we rejoice in hope. Instead of wallowing in negativity, we rejoice in hope. Fact, bad things will happen in life. Also fact, we all still sin. And our sin is going to affect other people, and other people's sin is going to affect us. There will 100% be negative occurrences, but we do not have to be negative in our response. We are loved by a God who knows how to work everything for good. We mentioned that verse last week in Romans 8, 28. He knows how to work everything for good. He knows how to work it in order to make us more and more like, more like Christ. Romans 5 tells us that there are difficult things that are going to happen that produce hope in us if we have the Spirit of God. And that hope will not, be, will not put us to shame. It's true that there are going to be times where we mourn. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's all these different times. It's a time to mourn. And we're told weep with those who weep. Obviously, there's going to be times where somebody's weeping. There's going to be times where you're brokenhearted. And you don't have to be the person that tries to comfort people with just positive spin. Okay, you can just be with each other. And amidst all of our mourning with one another, something happens that is good. Community is built. When you mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep, community is built. Friendships are built this way. I heard this on a podcast recently. Friendship isn't found, it's forged. Man, that's good. Friendship is not found, it's forged. And that's really getting to this, this next point too. So this next point, instead of shying away from difficulty, we walk through difficulty together. In Christian community, we walk through difficult, difficulty together. We weep with those who weep. We don't have to do shallow friendship. Friendship that's just on the surface. Friendship where we don't talk about anything real. We don't talk about anything hard. Proverbs 18.24 says that a man of many companions, uh, companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are probably some of you in the room who have a lot of companions, but no real friends. Some of you have been a really good companion, or in your mind, you've been a really good companion to a lot of people, but you haven't ever really been a true friend to someone. You're six closer than a brother. And that's not the way it has to stay. There's something more that God has in mind for us in Christian community, from the Christian point of view. Something else I want to point back to in verse 12. It says patient in tribulation. We want to be patient in tribulation. Tribulation, it's kind of a picture of like pressure. Pressure applied from something outside that's external or maybe some pressure that you feel internal or external things that cause pressure internally. But these verbs that Paul is using around this where he says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, they are plural verbs. Okay, I know he's talking to a group of people. He's writing this letter. He's expecting all these people to be hearing it in unison together, but he could have used singular verbs. Could have, if it was all an individual thing. Individually rejoice in hope. Individually be patient in tribulation. Individually be constant in prayer. But rather, I think he means it to be that these are things we do together. That we rejoice in hope together. We be patient in tribulation together. We be constant in prayer together. We don't have to face life's pressures alone. You know, check out uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Real Christian community means walking through hardship together. And that comes in a lot of forms, and two of them are here in these verses. For one, accountability for sin. For another, bearing one another's burdens. So to bear one another's burdens fits the vibe of kind of what we've been talking about already. We're going to walk through these things together, difficult things going on in our life. I'm not going to let my brother or sister in Christ walk through this difficult thing alone. Okay, we're bearing one another's burdens. I'm going to walk through this with them. But there's also another kind of difficulty we might have to face together, and that is sin and temptations to sin. Both of those things are mentioned. Verse 2 of Galatians 6, talking about bearing one of those burdens. But verse 1 talks about calling out somebody who is caught in sin and bringing them back. The pressure that we feel as believers and the burdens we bear are not always circumstantial. A lot of them really are struggles with sin or struggles with shame over sins already committed. So we walk through these things, and we've got to be willing to have hard conversations with people if we're going to walk through this stuff together. We're going to walk through sin struggles together. If somebody is caught in sin, Christian community is meant to draw them back, and that's not going to be easy. It may not always go smoothly, but it's worth it. Look at what James 5 says. James and James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's huge. It's important to go after our brothers and sisters in Christ who are straying from the Lord. And not only that, we need Christian community that will walk with us so that we can confess sin. It's not just, oh, that other person is sinning. Oh, we need to go after that other person. But we too sin. And we need somebody to, to be able to open up about that with or struggle our struggles with sin. James 5.16, just a few verses earlier, says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. Healed, like what does that mean? I think it means healed from even walking through some of these sin struggles, finding healing, finding, finding victory in these things. And this prayer idea, like notice the end of verse 12 that we talked about a second ago, be constant in prayer. We want to be praying for one another. And I think Christian community does more, more than, uh, more than we think when we're praying for one another. You know, and, and I think Christian community ought to do more than say they're going to pray for one another. I think we got, we're really good at that saying, oh, I'll pray, for, I'll pray for you, I'll pray about that thing. You know, we ask each other sometimes, how can I pray for you? And then we walk away and, you know, we're, we have good intentions, but we forget. But what if we actually prayed for one another and set aside time to pray for the people around you in life and tell them when you do it? It's a huge encouragement. I don't know if anybody's ever done this for you, but somebody, maybe you asked them to pray or they said, hey, how can I pray for you? Tell them something. And then they text you when they're doing it. Or, hey, I just prayed about this thing, and then they text you. It's a huge encouragement. You know, and, and that people have a chance to, to receive that encouragement uh, is huge for them. And that's kind of like that, that bearing one another's burdens, man. We're, we're in this together through prayer. And the flip side is that people who share in troubles together, and uh, the people who share in troubles together are also there to celebrate the wins together. You know, some of those shallow friendships, you know, you may, you may be able to celebrate some, some good things that happen. But the people who are there through the hard times 
are also there in the, in the sweet times, and it makes it that much sweeter to walk through the sweet times together when you've been through the hard times together. I don't know if you have friends like that, but man, if you, if you weep together with somebody, it's so much sweeter when you do the rejoicing together because you have that kind of deeper level of friendship. All right, here's the next point. Instead of only leaning into relationships that benefit us, we associate with those who may offer nothing in return. He says in verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's what he says uh, in verse 3. You know, in James 2, James lays out a scenario to his readers. He says, okay, look, say you're in a church service, and a rich person comes in, and a poor person comes in. Do you give the rich person the nice seat and make the poor person sit on the ground? He said, if you do that, you're in sin. Look what he says. James 2, 8 through 10. If you really fulfill the law, of, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And this is right after him talking about showing partiality to the rich person over the poor person. Somebody who brings something to the table in your mind more so than somebody else. And let me be clear. I, I know that you can't be... Like, this is not about being best friends with everybody. Oh, I've got to be best friends with everybody. I've got to have this huge, wide-open circle of community. I can't, can't have closed-off friendships because I've got be, to gotta be open. can't be partial to anybody. can't have any best friends or closest circle. No, that's not what I'm saying. Inevitably, there are going to be people closer to you than others, people that you share more with than others, people you walk through life with on a different level than other people, and that's okay. But what's not okay is denying somebody an opportunity to be part of your overall Christian community based on the value you perceive that they bring to the table or the lack thereof. There's going to be times where every single one of us has little to bring. There's going to be times where every single one of us are, are coming empty-handed and need help from other people. We want to be the people who are extending welcome and meeting needs for others, and when we see something like that, stepping into that opportunity because we may be in that position someday because we're called to do this. You know, this the picture of the early church, we can't go into it too much. Acts 2, 42 through 47, you can check it out later. I think Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see this picture of the early church where they're just sharing everything in common. They're, they're being there. If they, somebody has a need, they're selling a possession in order to, to meet that need, and they're just doing life together. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're having real relationships with each other. And it was so infectious that people kept being added to their number every single day. It was a way of life for them that they shared life together. I'm not saying that the church needs to become everything that the early church was. Or we have to shut ourselves off in some, some separate community where we share all our possessions together. We can't have personal possessions or anything. This isn't like a commune that I'm asking for. But like, there should be something different about how we value each other as brothers and sisters and the way that we serve each other and relate to each other based on that value. The value that we see in the person as, a, as, as made in the image of God and renewed in the image of Christ. Value in them alone and not just what they bring to the table, or what they might be able to offer to us by having a relationship with them. And then another thing, instead of repaying those who harm us, we respond with what honors God. So really the end of, of our text tonight, I mean, we're looking at verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless, do not curse them. Then we go 17 on through the end is kind of on this. These people that Paul's writing to, the Romans, you know, the Roman believers, they may have been experiencing physical persecution literally at the time of receiving the letter. And if not right then, then they were in the years to come. Okay, so it's a little bit 
It's a little bit really like straight to the point for them. Like they're experiencing some persecution. You know, he's saying, bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Do what's honorable in the sight of all. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Never avenge yourself. And this goes so counter to our instincts. But there's three things I think Paul is talking about that, that make this possible. For one, God's mercy toward us. When we did not deserve his mercy, when, all, when the only thing we deserved was condemnation, he, he showed us mercy. He did not give us what we deserved. So when other people do things against us, when we feel like they deserve some kind of retaliation, they deserve something in return for what they did to us, we can say, no, I did not receive what I, what I deserved. I've received mercy. But then also, in, in uh, the second thing, God says that he will deal with those who come against us. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There's not going to be a single wrong done that is not paid for, either by Christ on the cross or eternal punishment for those who are not in Christ at the time of judgment. Everything will be paid for. He will take care of it. But then also, a third thing, somehow evil can be overcome by good. That last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So he's saying, look, you don't have to retaliate when they persecute you. When, when they do bad things to you, when somebody comes against you, you don't have to retaliate. You don't have to get revenge. You can bless instead because you have been blessed. Because evil can be overcome by good, and I will take care of dealing with it. He says all these things, and, and so this kind of response that Paul is calling for from the believers in Rome, yeah, it may, be, it may be mostly in respect to those people who are outside the faith who are treating them poorly. You know, revenge, bless instead, seek peace, overcome evil with good, all that stuff. But how much more do you think this kind of response is expected between believers? If this is the response he's expecting toward people outside the faith, how much more so between believers? You know, in case you didn't know this already, Christians can sin against one another. I feel like you guys probably already knew that. We can do things that are bad to each other. And when another believer sins against us or against those we care about, how should we respond? How should we respond? Not revenge, not gossip or slander, but rather bless, seeking peace, holding fast to what is good, not sinking to the level of retaliation, praying, continuing in prayer for them, seeking their good, overcoming evil with good, because we are not in competition with each other. We are in submission to God. Believers, brothers and sisters, we are not in competition with each other. We are in submission to God. James 4, 1, 7 and 8. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Then skip into verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There is a way forward when issues come up between believers, and we're going to talk about this a lot in a couple weeks when we talk about conflict. Man. Here it is. Recognize your own wrong desires. How they're in conflict. Submit to God. Resist the schemes of the devil who's trying to separate you from your brother and sister in Christ. And then repent of any known sin in yourself. And here's the thing. I know that this and a lot of the things we talked about tonight could sound near impossible. Or at least really daunting to you. And it is going to be hard for us to do all the things that we've talked about tonight. And to live in community this way and to keep it up over the whole course of a life. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But the same God who says to us, do not be conformed to this world, also says we can be transformed. That he will do the work of transforming. 
that there's someone in you, his Holy Spirit, who makes this kind of friendship and this kind of community possible. Our God is our help in this. And this kind of community that we were designed for, the kind of community we've been talking about tonight, is possible for us as people who have been renewed in the image of Christ and live, uh, live in him and in his power. And I know I risk sounding like a broken record because we've talked about this a few times in the series, but it all starts with knowing the love of God for us and letting that stir up love in us for him first, which will then boil over into this love for other people. 